This episode of the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Koros Global. Visit the link in the show notes and use code FITCOOKINUTRITION at checkout to get a free accessory with any Koros watch purchase. Hey everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. I feel like I haven't done an intro with who the heck I am in a while, so let me introduce myself. My name's Holly Samuel, and I am a registered dietitian. I am a personal trainer. I am also a master of health education focusing in eating disorders, and I am an avid runner myself, three-time Boston qualifier, uh, six-time marathoner, got into running about five or six years ago, and here I am as your host today on a running-themed podcast. So you can probably guess that my obsession with the sport escalated quickly, (laughs) and so I've dedicated my career and my practice at Fit Cookie Nutrition to help runners just like you learn to fuel their bodies for performance without restriction, make peace with food, and prevent injuries. In today's episode, we are going to talk all things winter running. (laughs) Um, I get a ton of questions about this whenever the seasons change. And as someone who started their running career in the beautiful tropical state of New Hampshire, a lot of sarcasm here, um, I have a lot of experience (laughs) with cold weather running. And it's something that I've tried to escape. Um, I actually moved to North Carolina with my husband in March of 2020. For a little over a year, we spent some time there um, and ended up coming back to New Hampshire for personal reasons, Um, but it was a great experience, and we did get to escape the cold, and I will say it was pretty great, and I know a lot of people in the South will say, but what about the heat? The heat is terrible to run in, and yeah, it's, it's tough. I personally do really, really well in the heat and humidity. Like I ran a marathon in July, um, in Charlotte (laughs) and I started at four in the morning and it was like 80 degrees and like a hundred percent humidity. Um, and I did fine. I'm just kind of, I think one of those lucky people whose sweat doesn't try to kill them when it leaves their body. Um, so, I mean, I can't, I can't really say that I didn't, like that the heat really got to me, to be honest, I loved it. Um, I only spend the summer there, so maybe that would get old after a while, but I don't know. I tend to do really well in the heat. I don't do so well in the cold, so I have a lot of strategies for you guys today to help you get through winter running. So we are now back in New Hampshire, my husband and I, and we are thriving, um, doing this running thing through the winter with all of these different tips. So Let's get into the episode. We are going to talk mostly about cold weather running today. I want to do a follow-up episode on like treadmill running since that's an obvious part of this conversation that I think deserves its own episode. Um, Probably a crumples episode. It'll probably be a shorter one. So in terms of this, how we want to structure it today, we're going to go through just like different gear first, going through like the feet, the legs, the trunk, and accessories. And then we're going to talk about specific tips. And I want to answer some of your questions that you specifically asked me when I put up an Instagram question box in my stories a few weeks ago. So let's get into it. So first off, I want to start this by saying if I say any specific gear item, um, I have linked in the show notes 
um, a like to know it link for my like to know it page. Um, that's where I've linked basically anything that I mentioned in the episode in terms of gear so that you can visit those um, links and see it for yourself. So if you're like, wait, what jacket was that? Or what was that? It's all linked <laughs> in the show notes. Um, so just check out that post. All right. So let's start with probably the most important thing, in my opinion, is the feet. So where I personally live in New Hampshire, um, we always joke that we live in the tropical part of the state because we live in southern New Hampshire on the seacoast. Um, and I know a lot of people who live in other parts of the U.S. may not realize that New Hampshire has a seacoast. Um, and it does. And it's probably one of the most beautiful parts of the country, in my humble opinion, very biased opinion. Um, but we have about 13 miles of seacoast. So what I mean by tropical part of the state is that we tend to get a lot of more mild precipitation. Like we don't get feet and feet and feet of snow um, compared to the more northern or western parts of the state that are further away from the ocean. Um, the ocean does tend to keep things a little bit warmer in the winter. Um, and I'm using that extremely relatively. There is a high of one degree Fahrenheit tomorrow. So that's what I mean by warmer. Um, and it also tends to keep things a bit more mild in the summer. And we definitely get a ton of moisture and humidity. So we get a ton of ice in this part of the state. Um, we don't get as much snow. We definitely get snow. But most of our precipitation falling from the sky tends to be in the form of rain or freezing rain that then freezes to the ground and causes extremely icy conditions and very slushy conditions. Um, so I know other people listening to this, maybe in like Minnesota or in the Midwest, um, or even like in Colorado or some of the snowier parts of the country, you know, you guys may be dealing with like feet and feet of snow or packed snow oftentimes. Um, and that's definitely something that I'm familiar with and I'll give you tips on in this episode. But I think some of the trickiest conditions that I've experienced are when there's ice involved. Um, and that is why I want to do a whole treadmill episode because that might, it might be safest for a lot of people to go inside on the treadmill when this is the case. But anyway, so just wanted to know you to know where I'm coming from. So let's get started with our gear. So our feet. So this is the part that's, you know, touching whatever terrain condition complications we may be experiencing from the winter. So whether you are going to be running on the road, um, sidewalk or trails, there are, you know, a lot of different shoe options that you may consider. You might have, you know, your own shoes that you would typically wear in perfect conditions. Um, and you could put something like, you know, traction devices on them, like nano spikes, yak tracks, which are my personal favorite, crampons, which are um, typically a bit more for like icy conditions or trails. You can also screw in some half inch um, number eight, I believe, studs into the bottom of an old pair of shoes. This is permanent, so make sure you have made peace with this being your designated stud shoe. <laughs> um, or you can try snowshoeing. So there's a lot of different ways to put traction on a current pair of shoes that you own so that when you go out on ice or especially packed snow, you have traction and your gait doesn't really have to change that much to accommodate the different conditions. Um, I find that things like yak tracks um, tend to work best with like packed snow. Um, you probably need like an inch or two or more of packed snow for that to work. 
Crampons tend to work again well on the trails with like maybe just a more rugged terrain in general. And then nano spikes actually tend to work really well in icier conditions um, and studs as well. So know that whatever you wear, you need to find it pretty comfortable. Um, and it's going to work best if your terrain is consistent across the board. What I tend to find the most frustrating with where we live is that oftentimes we'll have like patches of black ice followed by patches of slush and then patches of dry pavement. So if I put on like yak tracks, they're going to be nah, okay on the ice, but I'd really probably want something more like a nano spike. They're going to be perfect on the packed slush or snow, and then they're going to be really annoying on dry pavement. So um, whatever terrain you're running on, if it's consistent across the board, that's where these tend to work best because you are going to feel them um, on the bottom of your shoe if you don't have packed snow or ice underneath your foot. Um, you're just going to feel it a little bit more through your shoe. So I'd experiment with some different ones. Snowshoeing, of course, works really well if you have packed snow and a lot of it. Um, so that's a really cool sport that I'm hoping to get more into. If you want to learn more about this sport, you can check out a previous episode I did last summer in 2021 with Sarah Keeney. Um, she lives in New Hampshire as well, and she is a world, um, championship level snowshoer. Pretty cool. So other things that you can do on icy or snowy conditions is use a specialized shoe for the winter. So I actually will wear trail shoes often for, conditions that vary. So like I just mentioned, if I've got like a mix of ice and then slush and then snow and then dry pavement, I'll often wear a trail shoe. Um, I have a Hoka trail shoe. I honestly don't even know what kind it is. So this will not be linked in the show notes because someone gave it to me a long time ago since it didn't fit them. But it's got a little bit more traction on the bottom because it's a trail shoe and it actually works really well in these types of conditions. So that might be like a first level thing for you to try, especially if you feel like you are going to run trails at some point too. Like it's kind of nice to have a couple different options there. So that's something you can try. A lot of um, road shoes will also have winterized versions of themselves where the uppers are a little bit more water resistant um, and just resistant to like salt and sand so that that's not getting all up in your shoe. Um, and the soles will be a little bit thicker typically for winter running um, so that there's a bit more between you and the ground. Um, so that's something that you can try as well. There's another brand of shoe, and this is not sponsored by them, but called Icebug. Um, and Icebugs are very cool. They're kind of a new concept to me this year. And I will say I have not tried them, but I definitely want to because I think they'd be perfect for me. Um, but Icebugs are meant for running in a variety of conditions. So I've heard that they compare to something like a Hoka or an Ultra shoe. So they're a bit more of a zero drop with a rocker um, than having like a higher heel to toe drop. Um, so make sure that you're comfortable running in something like that. And there's a couple different options. They have ones that have studs permanently, you know, screwed in so that they have a ton of traction. They also have ones that are more like a trail shoe where there's just traction in the sole um, you know, without studs. And then they also have like mud shoes. So there's a lot of different options there. And I think the key with these and with a winterized running shoe or a trail shoe is that they're going to be just a little bit more water resistant and a little bit more just condition resistant in general. That's one of the biggest issues with running in the winter too, is that your feet are more likely to get wet <laughs> um, and also like salty and sandy. And that 
irritation can really cause a lot of issues like blisters um, and other things, especially if you're running in those conditions every single day. So if you have a shoe that's a little bit more resistant to that, um, you're probably going to be a little bit better off or at least having a good rotation option um, is good. And speaking of keeping your feet dry, socks are another tool in your toolbox that you really shouldn't overlook in the winter. So my favorite winter running socks are by Smart Wool um, or any, you know, like wool type sock is going to be helpful in these conditions. Um, Darn Tough is another really great brand for the winter and a lot of other running socks will have their own like winter options. I've also worn Smart Wool winter compression socks before and those are amazing. They keep your legs super warm so that the blood continues to flow even when it's cold out. Just gives you an extra layer all the way up to your knee as well. So you really want a sock that's made with an athletic material or wool, something that's going to be wicking so that your foot isn't just wet and then gets really cold because it's wet. Um, Another really great option to include in your shoe are toe warmers. So these are really going to be good if it's like under 20 degrees Fahrenheit um, or if you have like poor circulation in your hands and feet, which I will talk about in a second. Um, So toe warmers can be a good option just to stick in your shoe so that you have some external heat, especially again, if you are going through cold conditions or conditions where your feet are going to constantly be wet and then drying off and then wet and then drying off. I also recommend from a like strategy tip that you put your socks over your pants um, or at least over the most bottom layer of your pants. Looks kind of dorky, but um, it does keep the wind out so that your ankles aren't exposed and getting cold. I find if you do have circulation issues in your feet, it's really important to cover your ankles. Um, Same thing if you have circulation issues in your hands, it's really important to cover your wrists um, because if those get cold, then your extremity is not going to get the blood flow that it needs. Um, And I believe there is also, I can't remember the brand. Um, I think there's a couple different ones, but I know there's waterproofing spray as well so that you can spray your shoes um, if they're not water resistant. And this will make them slightly more water resistant, which is pretty cool. Another important concept. So like I said, if you're going to be running in these conditions often, um, like for me, for example, it's like an everyday situation from, you know, December to April. (laughs) Um, It's going to be important that you have a rotation so that you don't run on Tuesday and then take all your stuff off. And then on Wednesday, you go to put it back on and it's still wet. Um, So I recommend having like a heater, whether it's just one, you know, event in your house that you can put stuff by um, or getting a space heater or plugging in even a hairdryer by where your, you know, kind of used (laughs) gear is going to be so that you can dry it off after each run or before each run. I also find if it's a little bit warmed when you put it on in the morning, it makes you just, it's just a little bit nicer. You know, you can go outside and you're feet, you know, are already warm because your shoes were warm. (laughs) Um, Again, you don't want to leave anything too close to heaters if they're going to like melt the the fabric or the material. That's, that's not good, but it does help to make sure that you are drying all of your stuff between uses and also potentially washing it more frequently. Because again, if it's going to get salty because they're treating the roads that you're running on or sandy um, or just kind of dirty in general, you don't want that debris rubbing against your skin and then irritating it and causing blisters. 
So looking at your feet as well, I recommend just considering like if you're running on snow or ice, um, you know, or just rugged terrain and you're not used to that, or if you're running on like an ice bug or a yak track or a nano spike or studs, you're probably going to want to adjust to this slowly, um, which I know is easier said than done because often it's like we don't have any snow on the ground and then we get a huge storm and there is no gradual thing about it. Like you just kind of have to sink or swim. Um, but running on these different terrains or different, you know, um, feet contraptions, it's really a lot harder than running on dry pavement or on a treadmill or on a track. Um, it's a lot harder on our feet. It's harder on our stability muscles and our ankles and calves. It can be hard on, you know, like hips and um, knees as well if you don't have good stability there or even if you do. So know that you should be slowing down your pace um, and you might want to adjust to this more gradually by doing maybe some miles outside and some on the treadmill um, or vice versa, just so that you're not kind of going from running for an hour outside on dry pavement to running for an hour outside on yak tracks and expecting it to feel exactly the same because it's probably going to feel harder. Um, so you might want to downshift by like 15 to 20 minutes. So maybe you run outside for 45 minutes in your yak tracks um, and you allow your body to adjust more gradually if you're able so that you don't end up with weird like stability muscle injuries that you wouldn't normally have if you were like living in Florida year round, so to speak. Um, so looking at the next line of gear. So for our legs, um, this is also super important. Obviously, our legs are going to be doing the running, but I see um, probably the biggest variety of what people enjoy to wear on their legs when I talk about winter running. Some people are like shorts year round, like I just got to keep my top half and my like calves and, and feet covered, but I can wear shorts and I'm good to go. Um, and other people find that they need to provide some extra warmth to their legs because they get cold. Um, and then if they get cold, they don't want to pull a muscle etc, etc. I tend to be in that category. Um, I tend to have not the best circulation. So keeping my legs covered is something that I like to do. I also think it's important to talk about the different like efforts that you're going to be going off of. Like if you're going to be going for an easy run in the snow, that's different than trying to go run at like a race effort in cold, right? Like you're going to heat up a little bit quicker if you're running faster and your clothing choices may or may not be different. So um, for this, I'm going to be kind of talking mostly about easy paced effort or, you know, if you're someone who needs extra warmth, because I think shorts or tights probably are pretty self-explanatory and I don't need you tell, to tell you when to wear those. But um, as far as warmer tights and other strategies. So this is going to be a big one that I link um, on my like to know it link below in that post is the Athleta Altitude Tight in Polar Tech. They are a pair of Athleta leggings that are fleece lined and you guys, such game changers. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Michelle Baxter at the runner's plate. She first introduced these to her Instagram followers, like I think last year. And I was like, oh, I'm moving back to New Hampshire. I should buy a pair of fleece line running leggings because I don't have them anymore. <laughs> and I had not tried these before her recommendation and they're amazing. So Michelle, who runs in Alaska and knows what she's talking about when it comes to winter stuff. Thank you for that big shout out there. So, um, 
the athletatites are fleece lined and they are so, so, so warm. Um, I used to get like a rash, like, you know, or just like my thighs would be really red when I came back from a winter run because of the wind or exposure. That's another thing um, on the seacoast. It's very windy um, because we're on the seacoast and the tides change every eight hours. So tends to be a headwind no matter what you do. So my thighs used to get super wind burnt. Um, and switching to fleece line leggings has totally prevented that. Like my legs are warm. I take, you know, them off after a run and my legs are all the color that they should be. Um, I really like wearing these if it's going to be like below 20 degrees Fahrenheit or like a feels like below 20 degrees Fahrenheit with wind chill. Um, other options, um, Old Navy actually has like a cozy core, um, blend, I believe, in their active line that is a little bit more wool-like in material or a little bit more knitted feeling than their typical like spandex athletic. Um, and Athleta also has a peak hybrid tight um, that I really like as well. So it's not quite like fleece lined, either of these, like the Athleta Polar Tech, but they're still thicker and I would say like more felt lined um, than like your typical tight, like by Nike spandex, something like that. I really like these for between like 20 and 30 degrees Fahrenheit, or it feels like of between 20 to 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and those tend to work really well for that temperature. I've worn them in colder too, and they do okay. Um, I think again, it depends on the person, but those are some different options there. So if you're running in conditions that feel cold to you when you're wearing regular running tights, like it is time to invest in a pair of fleece lined or um, lightly fleece lined leggings like the ones mentioned. It's so worth it, you guys. <laughs> um, it will make your experience much more positive. Um, and all of these options to come with like some sort of pocket. So I know the Polar Tech ones have like a waistband pocket um, and the Peak Hybrid tights have side pockets and a waistband pocket too, I believe. And Old Navy has a variety of options. So having the pockets is fun. If it's going to be super windy or you're going to be exposed to active <laughs> precipitation of some sort while you're running, um, first of all, if it's like hail or ice, just like, don't go outside, go on the treadmill um, and see, you know, next episode for treadmill tips. But <laughs> um, if it's going to be snowing or raining, you know, and you can deal with that, then I recommend adding a pair of like windproofing pants over a pair of tights. Um, the wind and the wet is going to make it feel a lot colder than the air temperature. Um, and if you are actively, you know, getting wet by sweating and then, you know, also by the elements, your clothes aren't going to be able to wick that away, um, at a frequency that is going to keep you dry. So that's where I recommend adding something with a shell, whether it's like a Gore-Tex, um, shell or some sort of windproof pants that are synthetic. They're definitely going to trap moisture so that you're probably going to sweat a little bit more um, and stay a bit warmer on the inside, but they will also prevent you from getting wet at a rate you can't keep up with from the outside if it's super cold. Like I know where I run, um, whether I'm sweating through my clothes or it's actively precipitating in some way. Like I will finish with like what looks like freezer burn on my body, be like on my clothes because the moisture has leaked through um, and then frozen <laughs> to my body. Um, and we want to prevent frostbite on our extremities. So the windproof pants can definitely be helpful and top of course as well. But right now we're just talking about legs. 
Another um, tip I have on top of gear is to warm up pre-run a lot better. So again, you can use like a space heater to physically get warm, a heating pad over your legs to physically warm them up, which can be helpful in the morning if like you just haven't had time to move around a ton during the day. I also recommend making sure you have a good foam rolling or dynamic warm-up routine and that you are doing this inside um, so that you are getting nice and warm before you step out the door. It's just going to make it a little bit better, I promise. <laughs> um, other things I recommend. So after winter running, um, some people, again, they they their bodies just do really, really well with winter running, um, and some don't. So like I said, my body does really well with heat and humidity. <laughs> um, like I feel fine for the most part after, um, and it does not do well <laughs> with winter running. Like I just don't, I don't circulate as well. I don't recover as well. And this is where taking like hot um, or warm Epsom salt baths post-run or getting in a hot shower right away can be really helpful. And then doing like your stretching or cool down routine um, to make sure your muscles are truly warm and they're not, you know, cold and kind of um, tight or short. Um, Cause you don't want to do, you don't want to go stretch like statically stretch a short or tight muscle. So keeping it nice and warm and allowing yourself to be in a heated environment where it's going to, you know, manually help you circulate your blood throughout your body um, can be really helpful. So that's something that I'll actually do a lot more often in the winter is like Epsom salt baths, um, either right after my run, if I can, which usually I don't have that luxury, I do a shower. <laughs> um, and then I'll take an Epsom salt bath like later in the day. And I find that helps just with like body aches and muscle soreness, because otherwise my body just hurts more in the winter. Um, so let's talk about the trunk. But first, I want to take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor, which is Coros Global. And their watch is also something I use in the winter. So stay tuned. Hey, everybody, have you heard from our newest sponsor, Coros Wearables? Coros makes GPS watches that help athletes train to be their best. Kuros uses top-of-the-line hardware with innovative technology to provide endurance athletes with the gear that they need. When you use a Kuros product, you know you're getting a tool that has been designed, tested, and perfected for the athlete by the athlete. And speaking of athletes sponsored by Kuros Global, have you heard of Elliot Kipchoge, Des Linden, Emma Bates, Molly Seidel? I mean, come on, you've probably heard of them, and they use Kuros products. Kuros watches allow you to create your own personalized workouts and training plans for running, cycling, swimming, and even strength or core workout at the gym. If you need an extra reminder to properly fuel during your workout, Kuros has you covered with their customizable nutrition alerts. So you can basically have me on your wrist pinging you every 30 to 45 minutes on your runs to remind you to fuel. Pretty cool stuff. Koros users have set world records, Elliot Kipchoge, and been to the highest point on earth, pushing their products to the extremes. At Koros, creation and innovation is never ending. And for Koros, the user is the focus. So if you are looking to try out a new Koros product and you want to be part of the Koros community, you can use code FITCOOKINUTRITION at checkout to receive a free accessory with your watch purchase. 
purchase. You can use the link that's in the show notes to do this, and you just can pick out whatever accessory that you want on their page and add it to your cart, and you'll get it for free with the code FITCOOKINUTRITION. I personally switched over to the Koros Apex over a year ago now from my Garmin Forerunner 220, which I also loved, but the Apex is gorgeous. It's probably one of their more simple models, which kind of defines what I look for in a watch. I just want it to be simple, although this one does still have quite a few bells and whistles that I use. Um, And it's honestly super comfortable to wear. It's not too big on your wrist. And the interface is really, really pretty, and the app is easy to use. So again, if you're looking to try out a Coros product, visit the link in the show notes. Use code FITCOOKINUTRITION at checkout to get a free accessory with your purchase. Now let's get back to today's episode. All right, so when it comes to our trunk and keeping that warm, let's talk about layering. So there's going to be a ton of links again in the link in the show notes that I reference here. So again, with our trunk, everyone's going to differ a little bit on if they run like hot or cold, but I find that if we can keep our trunk warm, which is where all of your organs are, and that's what your body is going to prioritize keeping warm um, when it's cold out, then your body's going to be like, okay, I don't have to like conserve as much energy to the trunk and as much blood flow to the trunk to you know, really circulate the organs and keep them alive, I can actually now put a little bit to the extremities and focus on keeping those warm too. Um, So if you do suffer from like extremity related issues, making sure that you keep your trunk warm can be a helpful root cause solution. So let's start with the base layer. So having a good base layer, and by that, I mean like a long sleeve shirt or a quarter zip, um, or even a tank top, like underneath a long sleeve shirt or a quarter zip, can be, you know, just one thing that helps keep your trunk warm. I find that tucking whatever you're wearing as your bottom most layer into your pants or your tights can be very helpful so that you don't get like a wind chill up your back. Um, especially if when you run, you find that whatever is on bottom tends to like ride up. Um, I know that happens on me because probably of the way my lower half is is shaped, but yeah, tucking it in can be helpful. Um, And then also looking at like a vest. So running vests are really helpful for keeping your trunk warm um, and keeping your arms able to move freely um, and maybe a little bit cooler since they are moving freely. I really like wearing a vest, um, you know, if it's going to be like 30 degrees, um, you know, or probably between 30 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit outside. And sometimes I'll still wear it if it's cooler with another layer over the vest. Um, But don't estimate the power of a good vest. They are really helpful and they often come with pockets. So that can be helpful to keep like your fuel or your phone or keys in the pocket. And that's another thing too. A lot of times outside in the winter when it's cold, um, your technology is not going to do as well in the cold. Um, So keeping it warm, keeping it closer to your core is going to help keep it warmer. um, And then hopefully it won't like die on you. I know that was an issue that I had with a couple of my iPhones is they would just like die. (laughs) They'd be like 100% charged when I started my run. And then halfway through they would die, um, which is not good. (laughs) So keeping a vest and keeping um, a phone in your pocket or fuel in your pocket so it doesn't freeze um, can be a good idea. I also think it's really, really helpful to find a good jacket that 
um, is going to basically help keep you warm and have like a good shell on it so that if there's elements involved, um, they at least are providing some water resistance. My favorite jacket is my Athleta Inlet jacket, which again is linked um, along with my favorite vest options. Um, it's just, it's got pockets, it's got a hood. It's like form fitting, so it doesn't move around too much and it tends to dry really quickly and it's got down in it, so it's super warm. Um, I have a Columbia one too that I really like in like bright orange, which is another key, key thing for, you know, whatever you're wearing, <clears throat> which we'll get into a little bit later, but you want it to be colorful rather than like black um, so that you can be seen by people driving um, because oftentimes sidewalks are covered. So you're running on the shoulder or your shoulders covered with snow. So you're running more in the road. Conditions are harder for drivers to see in any way. It gets darker early. So you really need to put in some extra effort to be seen. So if buying like the kind of hideous neon colored jacket is going to help you not get hit by a car, then that's what you should do, even if it's not your favorite color. I also really recommend for whatever your base layer is, buying things that have either a zipper or like a cowl neck um, so that they come up a little bit higher on your neck. Or if you don't have that, making sure that you have a neck warmer. Um, my favorite brand is by Turtle Fur. They have a lot of different fabric options for various conditions. So they have like more of a sweatshirt material. Um, and then they also have like fleece and like their ultimate warmth materials. And keeping your neck covered is kind of like keeping your ankles or your wrists or your midsection covered. Like it's just going to help the chill not go down your back. Um and help keep that heat on your body um, and just help keep you dry as well. So I highly recommend either a cowl neck for more mild conditions, or if it's going to be really like below 25 degrees Fahrenheit, having that neck warmer can be super helpful. Um, or the Buff is another brand that has neck warmer options, um, which is also good if you need to keep your face covered during these pandemic times. So um, other things. So looking through your like sleeves part of your trunk. So your arms, if it's going to be below like 20 to 25 degrees Fahrenheit, you're probably going to want multiple sleeve layers. So you're not going to be probably warm enough with just a base layer and a vest. Again, some people might be, but a lot of people probably won't be. So it's going to be important to, again, make sure you have like a jacket or arm sleeves or a sweatshirt or some other top layer to protect your arms. Um, and again, that just kind of helps Make sure your blood's circulating all the way to the extremities, which we're going to get to. So when it comes to your extremities, I want to touch briefly on Raynaud syndrome. So Raynaud syndrome is an autoimmune response, um, essentially condition that happens where your blood vessels, especially in your extremities, like your hands, your fingers, your feet, your toes, your nose, even nipples, um, they constrict it inappropriately so that um, you basically don't get blood flow to your extremities and then your hands, feet or whatever may turn like white, purple, you know, lose circulation, look kind of corpse-like. Um, and it really takes a lot of effort and external heat from somewhere to get the circulation back. Um, it can happen with cold conditions. It can happen if you touch something cold or if you're in air conditioning in the summer. Um, it can also happen if you have anxiety and it triggers a vasodilation response. Um, so this condition is um, often more common in women, um, 
But something I want to emphasize, if you are underfueled, or if you have an iron deficiency or a B12 deficiency, those can be the problems and you don't actually have Raynaud syndrome. So <laughs> make sure you address those things because having cold hands and feet or losing circulation in cold conditions where your body's just in, uh, incapable of keeping itself warm um, is very prevalent with anyone who is under fueling or has iron or B12, which are like circulatory um, nutrients related deficiencies. Um but if you actually have Raynaud syndrome, um, which I'm definitely one of those people, and it definitely gets worse if I'm under fueling or if I have an iron or B12 deficiency, it's really, really important that you have some external source of heat because you can wear, trust me, you can wear the warmest gloves, mittens, socks that exist on the planet. <laughs> um, but if you don't have body heat in your body that the glove is protecting, like it's not going to work. It's not going to heat up the space and then provide you with your own kind of heat source made from your own body heat. Cause you don't have body heat <laughs> in your extremities when there's no circulation. Um, so having that external source of heat with the really warm inner glove or sock or shoe or whatever it is, is key. And that's why I'm going to do a big plug here for hand and toe warmers um, or hot hands or toasty toes. There's a lot of different brands. Um, you can also buy reusable ones that charge. Um, I tend to buy the indisposable ones um, because I don't know, it's easier, but I probably should buy reusable ones, honestly, to be better for the environment um, because I do use these year round. Um, so Buying those is really key and running with them in your mittens, gloves. Um, and if you do have like circulatory issues, I recommend mittens so that all of your fingers are in the same cavity. So you're going to be more likely to disperse your body heat properly that way um, and have a hand warmer in there, especially because if you end up out there longer than you're anticipating um, or if it you know, the weather turns, it gets windier, or you have GI issues, and you have to end up walking, like, you never really know what's going to happen. Um, and it's really important that you take extra caution to protect your extremities, because they are going to be more prone to frostbite. Um, and we want to avoid that. So I recommend using your hand of foot warmers. And if it's going to be below like 20 degrees Fahrenheit, and you struggle with circulatory issues, I mean, go for like the ski mitten, like the warmest, thickest, most ridiculous looking like ski mitten <laughs> that you can purchase. Um, don't go for the low pro profile stuff. You're going to need like a shell that's windproof, water resistant. You're going to want fleece lining on the inside. And again, you're going to want it to be a mitten. Um, and I recommend doing this over having like a glove inside a mitten shell, because even then, if you're not producing your own body heat, the glove is really going to hold you back. So I'd recommend doing hand warmer in mittens as someone who struggles with Raynaud's and has tried a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of different things um, and invest in hand and feet warmers and use those liberally. <laughs> um, you know, even after you get back from your run, like continue to use them um, because you're typically going to have an attack with something like Raynaud's after your run, after you've kind of cooled down. And if you don't get to like a hot shower right away, um, again, having that external source of heat from the hot water, your hands aren't going to circulate themselves. So be careful with that. Speaking of extremities and frostbite, um, I also recommend getting a really good hat or like ear warmer. 
Um, I really like running in an ear warmer if it's going to be like between, you know, 20 and 30 degrees um, Fahrenheit or even like 20 and 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And then kind of doing the hat when it's going to be below 20 degrees Fahrenheit to keep your whole head warm. Or if there's ex like extreme conditions outside and you want to keep like your hair um, and the top of your head more dry. Um, and if you have your neck warmer or turtle fur, this is where you can pull it like up kind of over, you know, most of your head so that just your face is exposed and your neck and the whole back of your head are covered. Or you can even pull it up over your mouth and nose um, so that your nose and mouth, you know, extremities are staying warm. Um, and that's where the turtle furs and the buffs, they tend to make ones that are thin enough or the fabric is at least pliable enough where you can still breathe through it. I'm not going to pretend like it's the same as breathing freely, but um, you can definitely still breathe through it. I've, I've done it. It's, it's fine. Um, and that's actually going to help kind of warm the air that you breathe too. So if you struggle with like your lungs feeling like they're burning because they're not used to breathing in cold air, um, breathing through a neck warmer buff turtle fur can actually help warm it up a little bit for you um, and be a good resource that way. Now, if you do wear sunglasses um, or glasses like with this condition, you're going to fog up the glasses by breathing through something that's covering your mouth. So the air is just going like up instead of out. So that's where this is going to sound ridiculous, but that's where it's actually really good if you want to run in like ski goggles because um, they're going to suction to your face and then they're not going to fog up. Looks ridiculous. Highly effective though, and you got to do what you got to do. So I also want to provide that wearing sunglasses can be really helpful this time of year, even if it's like sunny out just because of, or even if it's not sunny out because of like snow brightness, um, the white on the ground reflecting with any light in the sky, even if it's a cloudy day can make it a lot brighter and it can make your eyes just burn and work a little bit harder when you're running. Um, so sometimes wearing sunglasses, even on cloudy days is essential for this. Um, so I highly recommend that as well. And since it's dark out, um, I also recommend, again, being seen. So you might need to wear like a Knox gear running vest that lights up or just something that is yellow and reflective. You're probably going to need a headlamp. Um, they make ones that kind of click and will adjust up and down so that you can kind of focus it on the pavement if you're trying to see where you're going without constantly craning your neck to look down. And keep batteries on hand for those so that it doesn't die on you. Um, but yeah, headlamp is definitely super helpful. And just looking at like other accessory things, um, your watch. So if you're wearing a watch and it's under like three layers of clothing and it's really hard to kind of find it, um, they do make shirts and, and jackets that have like watch access. I think like Brooks and Saucony both make these. Um, I don't personally own one, but that's something that you can buy so that there's like a hole in your sleeve so that you can still see your watch. I personally wouldn't use that because I don't want there to be a hole in my sleeve if it's really cold. Um, so what you can do instead is you can, one, run watch free. It's probably good for you in the winter if you're going to slow down and you need to focus on your effort over the pace or the time. But if that's not an option or you need data, you can use apps like Strava or you can actually just put the watch like in a pocket. It's still going to work. Um, it's still going to calculate your distance and talk to the satellite. 
Um, the, you know, if it has like a wrist heart rate monitor feature, you're not going to be able to use that if you do this method, but oftentimes those aren't super accurate anyway. So, um, I don't think you're going to lose a ton of data there, or you can still wear your chest strap heart rate monitor and put like the watch or the app or whatever in your pocket. Um, but again, you want to keep your technology and your fuel warm. So I do recommend, you know, having some pockets on hand to keep things in. I'll also keep my phone in my Koala clip. Um, they've sponsored the show in the past. Um, and that's just like a water resistant pouch that you can put, you know, fuel or your phone or keys in. And then it goes on your sports bra racer back between that and your back, um, with a magnetic clip. That's a really great product. Um, and you can also, you know, kind of like if you need to bring your fuel, you know, again, in the summer, I know I've talked about like keeping it in the fridge so that it stays cold. In the winter, it's kind of the opposite. You know, you're going to want to keep it as warm as possible without melting the plastic that covers it. Um, or if you are bringing like a water bottle or a hydration vest, you're going to want to probably put pretty warm water in it so that it stays somewhat warm and doesn't start freezing on you, um, which again, it probably won't, you know, if it's like going to be 20 or, or above, but once you kind of get below Fahrenheit, 20 degrees, things start to freeze pretty quickly. I've been in conditions so cold that alcohol has frozen just on exposure. So, um, if this is the case, you know, and you need to have hydration or fuel with you, you're probably going to want to do loops around your house and keep it in your house or car so that it stays warmer or just head to the treadmill, which can actually be a really good tool to practice your fueling because you can just keep it in front of you. And if anything goes wrong, there's a bathroom right there and you're in your house, <laughs> which is nice. Another thing that's kind of cool. So in cold temperatures, um, you'll often see Instagram runners, myself included post pictures of like their frozen eyelashes or like frozen hair. Um, it's all white and sparkly. They look like Elsa from frozen, you know, after they get back from their runs, I get a lot of questions like, why does that happen? And how do you like avoid that or protect yourself from that? Um, so this happens when there's moisture in the air. So like I talked about before, you know, if you are, if I'm running, you know, where I live and I'm sweating through my clothes or if it's raining and I start to get like a freezer burn layer over my clothes, um, the same thing happens to your face and eyelashes. You know, they get a little bit moist from moisture in the air or just from your breathing where it comes up and then immediately, you know, gets kind of blown into your face. So you get a little bit of moisture there and then it freezes on exposure. So that's why that happens. Um, you can't really prevent it unless you want to wear like a baklava, which covers your whole face um, and like ski goggles. That would definitely prevent it because then you wouldn't be getting exposed as much to the cold air. Um, if you live in really dry conditions, this probably won't happen as often to you, but if you live like anywhere where it's humid, um, it's going to happen. So I recommend to like skincare, which I probably, you know, you probably didn't think I was going to go to skincare on this podcast and I'm by no means a skincare junkie, but making sure you're using really hydrating products can be helpful this time of year when your skin's just going to be a bit more vulnerable. Um, it's still going to be super important to wear sunscreen, because we are still going to get exposed to the sun, even if it's cloudy out. And especially if we are running through snowy conditions, it's going to reflect off of the snow and back onto your skin um, a lot more extremely. So it's good to wear sunscreen. Um, and then I also recommend like Vaseline, like putting some of that on your face to protect your, your most fragile parts of your skin from the conditions. And if it's going to be windy, trying to just cover your skin as much as possible with like um, a turtle fur or a baklava or ski goggles, something like that. 
And then after your run, um, again, it's going to be helpful to make sure you're just keeping your skin clean and moisturized, um, especially if you're wearing just more hats and stuff as well this time of year. Um, so that's kind of my, my recommendations there. So in terms of general recommendations now for when it's cold out and answering some of your questions. So typically, um, no matter what temperature it is out, you're really going to want to dress as if it's like 15 to 20 degrees warmer um, in Fahrenheit. So if it's 20 degrees Fahrenheit out, what would you wear if you were to just go for a walk outside, um, you know, in like 35 to 40 degrees? That's what you're going to want to dress up with as you run, because as we run, we heat up a little bit and then, you know, it's going to make us feel like we overdressed if we put too many clothes on. Um, and as you get more acclimated to the cold, you're probably just going to get a little bit more savvy with knowing what you're supposed to wear. But this can take a lot of trial and error at first. So give yourself some grace, practice what works for you, invest, invest, invest in the clothes that help you have fun um, in the winter and be able to carry through any season for your sport. Um, this is always something I struggled with, obviously, like finances are a limit for a lot of people. But like my favorite running vest that I have was $10 at Walmart. So sometimes just being creative and going and finding sales or finding products or even getting secondhand things um, and just layering up, you know, it can it can make a really, really big difference. Trust me, as someone who moved to the South with one of the intentions being getting away from the cold and then moved back to the cold, <laughs> um, your mindset makes a big difference and so does your gear. So when it comes to your mindset, know that your pace is going to likely slow. When we go into like the fall or some of the more mild seasons of the year, depending on where you live, I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, I'm getting so much faster. Like, this is great because it's cooling down um, and we're getting away from the extreme heat of the summer. But know that with the extreme cold of the winter um, and conditions that come with it, it's another extreme, right? So oftentimes we're going to get a little bit slower um, and that's okay. You know, your effort is going to stay the same and you're still going to be getting performance benefits out of running slower. So don't be afraid to slow down or even take walk breaks, um, you know, or switch to different types of training in the winter. The people who have um, breathing issues, I did get a question about like lung damage in the winter. Um, and I'm not going to go too much into the science behind what happens when we breathe in cold air and what happens when we breathe in too cold of air. But yeah, if it's like really cold, like if it's a, if it's like negative 10, 20, 30, 40 degrees Fahrenheit, um, you, you are going to be looking at harsh conditions and breathing in air that that's, that's that cold is probably not going to be the best for you. If you're not, you know, fitted with the proper gear, acclimated accordingly and being smart about what you're doing. Um, and I know some people are going to be more susceptible to this than others. I do know people who run outside every day in negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit and they're okay. <laughs> and I know people who can't function if it gets under 40 degrees Fahrenheit positive. So really depends on the person, but <clears throat> know that, you know, you can consider again, warming up inside, and that can help you be warm when you get outside. Um, I also recommend using like breathing exercises or even like, like almost inhaler type breathing machines to help warm up your actual respiratory system before going outside. That can help some people. And again, I'm not a like a respiratory physician um, or pulmonologist in any way, shape or form. But 
those are things that I know people at high altitude or in places where the air is cold or the air is thin do. <laughs> um, and it helps them. Again, you can wear some sort of buff or face covering um, to warm up the air that you're breathing. You can adjust gradually and you can use the treadmill. If it's really going to be that hard and it's making this a miserable experience for you, just use the treadmill. It's okay. We're going to talk about that in the next episode as to why that's a good idea and a smart idea sometimes, um, the pros and cons, and why it's a great tool because it's a really good tool. <laughs> um, so looking at the conditions. So again, if it's just cold, like it's cold out, but you're running on dry pavement or a track, you know, you can do your regular shoes and just dress accordingly. If there's going to be, you know, an ice storm, then you're going to want to dress accordingly for the snow. Consider weatherproofing um, outer shells. You're going to want studs probably in your shoes or yak tracks or crampons or nano spikes or ice bugs. And you're going to need to adjust your pace so that you're not running really fast and falling on the conditions if you're not used to that. And if it's unsafe, treadmill. <laughs> if there's snow, yak tracks are probably going to be one of the best things you can wear on the bottom of your shoe. Um, and again, or you can get like a trail shoe with more traction or a winterized shoe that is more water resistant. You're going to want to make sure that you are dressed accordingly and wearing some sort of um, you know, wet water resistant outer layer, especially if it's actively snowing and you're going to need to adjust your pace. And if it's unsafe, treadmill. <laughs> um, if it's slushy or like a wintry mix, which is what I'm most accustomed to in Southern New Hampshire, assess the safety outside, you know, use all of the recommendations above. But if you feel like cars are not going to be able to control themselves around you, it's going to be hard for you to be seen because it's windy or, you know, there's like whiteout conditions or it's nasty out. There's a lot of black ice that you can't even see. Just go on the treadmill or do something different inside. And again, um, there's really, the, you know, the most of us who are listening to this podcast are doing this for fun. <laughs> We're not getting a paycheck to go and get our run done. So, you know, really make the decision that's going to be safest for you. Um, and that is going to keep this fun for you. So if you're like someone who can't stand the idea of running, you know, outside in the cold and you have access to a treadmill or cross training equipment, and that sounds way better to you, you can like watch a TV show, be in the warmth, hit your paces. And that just makes you feel mentally better and physically better do that. <laughs> Same thing. If you can't fathom the idea of running in place and staring at a wall for an hour, um, then go and you want to go outside because going outside makes you happy. Um, and you're willing to invest the time and money and energy into getting the gear and learning how to dress appropriately. And you're okay with potentially modifying your pace, then go outside, do those things and get outside. I'm someone who really likes both. Um, I think my joints and my stability muscles like both the most too. Like my brain really likes to go outside and I like being outside and it, it's character building for sure. <laughs> um, the mental part of training through the winter is only going to help me at the Boston Marathon in April. <laughs> but, um, you know, when it comes to like doing workouts and just wanting to feel safe in general and not having to worry about cars or other people or falling down. Um, or if I just don't have time to like put all that gear on, or I just don't want to, cause it's been freezing and I just, I've been going outside and I just, I don't really want to, I want a change of scenery. 
Um, but I really like going to the treadmill. So I'll, I'll often use both. Um, and I will also pick out, and this is a big recommendation for cold weather running as well. I'll, I'll pick out races, especially marathons based off of the season that I want to train through. And while I, I, I mean, I'm biased, but you know, I'm decently tough. Like I'll train, I'll train it out through the winter. Like I'm out there. I'm the only one out there running in icy, you know, cold conditions in the dark <laughs> in my town. Like I'm doing it. Um, but my body just doesn't respond as well, um, to a lot of treadmill running or a lot of like cold conditions. Um, so when it comes to like a marathon where I know it's something that's really hard on my body exponentially anyway, I'll typically pick one that's in the fall just because I'm going to be way more set up for success if I train through the summer and the fall than if I train through the winter and the spring, which in New England is just the extended winter, (laughs) um, for a spring race. And then for me too, like coming out of the cold and adjusting to heat can be tough. Um, so with a spring race in new England, um, or in a lot of places, you're just not, you don't know what kind of weather you're going to get. It could be really cold and snowy, or it could be a random 75 degree day. And you know, that can be detrimental if you've trained through only cold conditions. So I'll often pick a marathon that's in the fall if I have a choice. Um, because I know that it's already going to be hard for me to get through a training cycle unscathed. And I'm probably going to be more set up for success if I'm at least training through a season that my body responds really well to. That being said, I qualified for the Boston Marathon and I get to run it. So <laughs> I'm running the Boston Marathon in April and I'm, you know, training through the winter. And it is, it's a lot tougher. Um, it's just a lot tougher on my body. I tried to train for several past spring marathons and I have only started one of them. I've only finished and started one of them. Um, I think two or three, I just didn't even start because I, you know, got to some of the thick of marathon training and my body just stopped responding well. And I was like, I'm just going to run a race in the fall and I'll focus on faster things and shorter things right now. Um, so, you know, when push comes to shove and you're thinking about your race schedule for the year, I recommend thinking about wherever you live, you know, what season am I going to be training through (laughs) for this race? Um, and what's going to be most optimal for me, because I know for a lot of people in the Northeast spring marathons are really tough because you have to train through the winter. Um, and that's going to mean either 20 milers outside in the snow (laughs) or 20 milers on the treadmill or a combo. And if you're thinking, Ooh, like at the mention of that, then maybe consider a different season (laughs) to run a marathon in. So I hope this was helpful. I hope that this encouraged you with some tips to get outside and to, you know, adapt um, to cold weather running. And I do plan on doing a a sequel, if you will, on treadmill running, because I know that's another really popular environment that people are running in right now. And there's nothing wrong with it. But if mentally it makes you happier to get outside, I hope you do that. Um, If you have any questions, again, feel free to reach out to me via my Instagram, which is at Fit Cookie Nutrition, um, and visit, again, the link in the show notes to access any of the gear that I mentioned, it's all going to be posted in this one link on the like to know it app, um, which full disclosure, I do get a small, 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 like we're talking maybe a dollar commission um, on sales that are made through that post. Um, So if you want to support me, support the podcast, you want to get yourself some new gear and try it out, I'd really appreciate the support. Um, And again, if you want to try out a new Koros product, you'll get a free accessory 
with the code FITCOOKINUTRITION at checkout, which is also linked in the show notes. And again, if you do purchase a Chorus product, you do directly support the podcast as well. Um, so if you've been enjoying these episodes, this free information that I work really hard to provide for you guys, and I really enjoy providing for you guys, and you want to support me, that is one way to do so. Otherwise, you can share this episode on your social media, tag Fit Cooking Nutrition, and I would really appreciate that as well. Until next time, guys, happy running and stay warm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.